let me first say that I appreciated as a brand new parent, pastors two weeks on parenting. Those were just absolutely wonderful. My wife and I have a one month old at home and uh, we've just really been having a lot of fun with him. <laughs> and uh, I've always had a lot of respect for parents, but the last month it has turned into an admiration. And uh, if you are a parent and you're just here today, you're at church, you're sitting in a seat, just pat yourself on the back. You made it out the door, you made it to church. That is a miracle. And uh, if you are a parent and you are uh, serving on our dream team, a team that makes ministry up and around here, I just want to give you a hug sometime because that is amazing and I could really use a hug. So um, I thought instead of uh, a sermon today, we would all just take a 30-minute power nap. What do you think? Sound good? Yeah. Can I get a witness? Amen. Anything? Anyway, this nine-week series uh, is going to take us all the way into Palm Sunday. And I really think you're going to like it. It's going to do a couple things for us. It's going to help us understand our Bibles a little bit better. And I think it's going to be one of the most encouraging sermon series you've ever heard. That's just our hope in this is just to uh, encourage you. I think a lot of us are tired. I think a lot of us are fatigued. I think a lot of us, maybe we've been running this race for a while. And uh, we need a second wind. And I think this series is going to do that. Uh, for us. I really believe that. I would challenge you to just, uh, just make a commitment to be here all nine weeks of this thing. Um, to, and if, you, if there's a week you physically cannot make it, uh, to listen online, download the message notes, and follow along, and, and fill them in, and just absorb that message. And uh, we'll have talk it over notes starting next week for each, uh, each message, and you could talk it over with your small group, or your spouse, or your family. Um, we'd love to see you do that. But let me give you the theme verse uh, that sets up this whole series. It's in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, therefore, and you've heard pastors say this a million times, uh, but anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what it's Therefore, man, no one's gotten that. Maybe he hasn't said that a million times, I don't know. So when you see that word, it's a continuing thought. It's a continuing from the previous chapter. So this is chapter 12. And chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, it's what many scholars have nicknamed the Hall of Fame of Faith. So chapter 11 lists dozens of people who lived for God and did amazing things for God. And the Bible celebrates their faith and their contributions. And what this series is, is it's going to be like, what if uh, we heard from those people? What would they tell us? And what's interesting is this next verse ties all those great events and people to what it means for you and me today. So let's go on. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I love that the Bible, it's just saying that the life you're living is hard. It's hard. There's stuff that trips you up. And it's hard to run a successful race because the devil doesn't want you to. But let go of those things. Throw them off, everything that hinders, so we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And that's an important and unique thought. You may have never realized it, but we're in this race called life. The Bible calls our life a race. I don't know if you ever imagine yourself as part of the game. Um, I do this a lot. You know, I'll, I'll just imagine myself hit hitting that walk-off homer, and the crowd's going wild, and guys will do this. You know, we'll take a piece of paper and a trash can, and three, two, one, buzzer beater, yeah! 
At least I do that, but I like to say guys do that because it makes me feel a better, so. But you're running this race. From the vantage point of heaven, it's like you're on a track and you're running a race in your lane. And so the idea of this series is really cool. It's to answer, what would it be like if as we're running this race, some of the giants of the faith, some of the heroes of the faith came out of the stands and ran a lap with us? What would they say? How would they coach us up? What would they tell us to do? What would their advice be? What would their encouragement be? So we're going to run a lap with each person. You saw their names in the uh, opener. And the goal is that we would be encouraged and that we would all get a second wind in our race. Now, here's why I am personally really excited uh, to be sharing this opening, uh, this introductory uh, sermon this weekend. Is That is my theme verse for 2017 comes out of Hebrews 11, out of that Hall of Fame chapter. Um, I just started doing this uh, this year. For years, my wife has picked a verse and a word, one word uh, that kind of sets the theme for the year, uh, sets her focus, and she wants to be intentional about what she's looking for, what she studies. And so she, she's picked a word. She picked one year, she picked the word greatness, and she intentionally looked for God's greatness in all things. And she claimed Psalm 105.1, which says, give thanks to the Lord, proclaim his greatness. Another year, she picked the word choose, and she claimed Deuteronomy 30.19, oh, that you would choose life and so that your descendants might live. And she's focused on choosing life and God's way and, and just focusing in on what she can choose and what she has the power to choose, letting everything else go. So this year I joined in and I chose a word and a verse. And the word I chose was the word and. Yeah, nice. It's pretty lame. It's pretty dumb. Not very inspiring. Uh, I titled your message today, and that had them lining up down the street. No, not really. That. But it's not, uh, it's, not a, uh, it's not just the word and, it's not any and, it's a specific and. And I wanted to share it with you today, and I think it's going to help you a lot. And I think it's going to go a long way in setting up this series. Uh, so let me show you where I got this, and what it means for me, and what it means for you. Hebrews eleven six. So we were just in 12. Now we're backing up to uh, the beginning of 11, and after this, they go through that great hall of fame of faith. And without, it's not that and, the and is still coming. (laughs) And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, duh, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you were to do this exercise, if you were to go through the Gospels, the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that just give you a synopsis of Jesus' life and his encounters and his miracles, and if you were to read through and you were to make a list of things Jesus likes and dislikes, if you were to go through and find, oh, wow, he really liked that. He, cel- he celebrated that person. He praised them for that thing. Oh, he really liked what they said. Oh, he fist bumped them there. He really liked that. He celebrates that and write a list of good things and then write a list of things that he's disappointed in, that people would do something and he's frustrated, he's upset, he's disgusted, he's shocked, he's disappointed. If you were to do that exercise, you would not walk away with a list you would walk away with one thing. One thing that when people had it, he celebrated. He fist bumped them. He turns to everyone and he's like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. 
And then if they didn't have that, he would go, uh, he'd be shocked. He'd be disappointed. He'd say, are you kidding me? He would chastise them. And that one thing is faith. Faith or not. It's the one thing Jesus is always looking for. It's the question he's always asking is, do they have faith or do they not have faith? Because with faith, it's possible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it's not like if someone had faith, he would just make a note of it and kind of file it away. No, it affected him on an emotional level. When a person has more faith than he expects, he's over the moon. He turns to everyone around and he says, look at this guy. Did you hear that? That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. And likewise, when someone did not have faith, he go, really? You didn't think I was going to, you thought our problem was a shortage of bread? I fed all those people and you don't, you think I'm going to, Really? You don't think I'm going to calm this storm? Really? You don't have faith? You still don't get it? And he would, he would be disgusted by it. He'd be disturbed by it. He'd be frustrated by it. It affected him. Without, if, with, so if without faith, it's impossible to please God. If faith is that important, if, for, if the bottom line for Jesus is faith, we need to know what faith is. We need to get a handle on what exactly faith is. Now, Hebrews 11 gives us the definition of faith. This verse, my theme verse, is 11.6. But if you back up to the first verse of chapter 11, it's on the screen. Hebrews 11.1. You've heard this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And you'll often hear that right there as quoted as the definition of faith. You'll often hear that that is faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The problem is that by itself is a very unhelpful definition of faith because it leaves wide open this question, what things? What things are we hoping for? What, can, what things do we have a conviction about? What things are we supposed to be convinced of even though we don't see them? And the place that people normally go is they assume that this verse is talking about God, God himself. The way most people fill this in their minds is they think the definition is that faith is the conviction that God is there even though we don't see him. The hope that he's really there. And that is so close to the truth, but it misses it. You cannot put God in this particular sentence for a couple of different reasons. One is God is not a thing. And God's not plural. Faith is the conviction of things hoped for, of things not seen. I'm going to explain it this way. There's a, a chapter in the book of James where James goes out of his way to distinguish believing that there's a God and having faith. He says those two are not one and the same. Believing that there's a God and having faith are not all there is. That's not all there is to faith. And, and you've heard it. You remember in the book of James series we did it. He, he says the demons and the devil believe that there's a God. Do they have great faith? No. No, they don't. So just simply believing that there's a God is not all there is to faith. Thankfully, the book of Hebrews continues the definition. So here we go back to 11.6. Here's what a person must believe to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and, would you circle that and? It's one of the most important ands in the Bible. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This is what you must believe to have faith. So yes, you must believe that God exists, but you must also believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what the demons and the devil don't believe. They don't believe God will reward them if they, if they seek him. If they believed that, they would be seeking him. Faith means believing in a reward. It means believing not only in the giver, but also in the gift. When you hold up verse 6 with verse 1, it makes complete sense. The rewards are the things that we're supposed to have a conviction about. The rewards are the thing that we're supposed to hope for. The rewards are the things that verse 1 is referring to. The good things that you want but don't have yet. The things that are coming. It's, the reward is referring to anything good you could want from God in this life or the life to come. Any variation of happiness, of fulfillment, anything you want or need. All the blessings, all the good stuff that God can give. Faith means believing in those things. Believing God will give you that. Believing that God is going to make good on his promises. It's not about just believing that there's a God for God's own sake. Like James says, that's not faith. You have to believe that good things, that rewards are coming from God if you follow him, if you earnestly seek him. So the people who would come to Jesus and he would praise their faith, what did their faith consist of? Their faith consisted of, he would, he would praise their faith when they come to him and they really believed that God wanted them to hear, that God wanted them to see, that God wanted to heal them of their leprosy. They really believed that God had good things for them. They really believed that God cared about them. They really believed that God wanted them to walk. And when Jesus gets upset, it's when they don't believe that God would provide that he wouldn't provide the food or that he wouldn't calm the storm and he'd say, where is your faith? These giants of the faith, these heroes of the faith that we're gonna study each week, what does their great faith consist of? The giants of the faith didn't just believe that there was a God and that's it. No, they also believed in what God could do and more specifically what he could do for them. And we're going to see it with Noah uh, next week, right out of the gate. God said there's going to be a flood. Noah treats God as a fact, okay? There wasn't a question in his mind whether or not there's a God or whether or not we should take him at his word. God said there's going to be a flood. Noah doesn't stand in judgment over God. Noah doesn't say, well, here's how I think you should solve this problem. No, he treats God as a fact, takes God at his word, and then he believes that God will save him and his family. He believes that there was a reward out there for earnestly seeking God, for being the only person who was seeking God. Why does Noah believe all that? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want to take you to a place in Scripture where Jesus himself makes this perfectly clear. It's in his sermon, or the Sermon on the Mount. It's his most famous sermon. It's the most famous sermon in all of history. Matthew 6 verse 1 says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. 
If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you they have received Truly I tell you they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Underline this one. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Make note of that. God who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 5, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Underline that again. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 16, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Underline it again. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This passage in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying there's a right way to go about your acts of righteousness, there's a right way to live out your faith, and there's a wrong way. There's a right way to do these spiritual disciplines, there's a wrong way to do them. He uses praying and fasting and giving as examples. And he, does the, he says, so don't do these to be seen by other people. Don't do these for a reward or approval from other people. And the way that's always been interpreted is that you should not do these things selfishly. That you should not do these things for a reward. That you shouldn't do them thinking about what's in it for you. Instead, just do it out of pure motive, not thinking about yourself or any reward at all. When you give... Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And so often, we take that and think we're not supposed to give for a reward. But I want to argue that that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, don't think about a reward. Rather, when you think about these things, when you read it literally, doing a good thing to be rewarded, whatever it is, praying, fasting, giving, serving, reading your Bible, going on that mission trip, Jesus says that doing those things for a reward is a perfectly fine motivation. In fact, that's a good motivation. In fact, that's what your heavenly father is doing, is he's going to reward you. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And you might say, no, that's the motivation he's condemning. No, not quite. What Jesus is condemning is this motivation of doing good things only to be seen and rewarded by other people. You see, these things that he's talking about, praying, fasting, giving, they're hard. They're hard to do. And they didn't have a printing press back then, but if they did, uh, he probably would have thrown in reading your Bible. It's hard. They're disciplines you're supposed to do, but they're hard. Praying is harder than watching TV. Reading the Bible is harder than reading the news. Fasting is harder than eating. Tithing is harder than online shopping. And the question is then, where do you find the motivation, the reason 
to do these hard things. And what we so often do, this is the hack that, that religious people have come up with. This is the trick to find the motivation to do these things as we let it slip to other people that we're doing them. We let it slip to people that we're fasting or we're giving or we're doing these things. And that approval from other people, that status bump from other people gives us the motivation to keep doing those hard things. And that's what Jesus was condemning. But it works like this in any community. If you're a part of a group of people that's really into fitness, one of the bonuses of that workout is that you tell people in your community about it and you get a little status bump and you get a little bit of motivation. If you're a group, a part of a group that's really into food or really into concerts, part of the motivation or the reason why you spend all that money on that food or going to that restaurant or spend all that money and time going to that concert is so you can say that you went to this restaurant and ate this food or went to this concert and it's a status bump. It's approval. It's motivation to do those things. This is the entire point of social media. The whole point is that you're part of a tribe. And there's certain things that the tribe approves of. And if you perform the actions that the tribe approves of, what is that? It's community approval. It's a reward. And one of the most remarkable technological advances that has ever happened in the history of mankind has happened in the last 10 years is now that reward and that approval from other people is quantified and mechanized. You actually get a like. We like you. You did something we like. Wait to go. Keep doing those things that we like. And you can see an actual number go up when you do something that everyone likes. And it helps you do the things that you wouldn't otherwise do. Because you wouldn't otherwise go on that run. You wouldn't go on that hike. You wouldn't go on that bike ride. You wouldn't spend all day hiking unless you could take that picture and hang it up on your wall or post it online and get the approval to show everyone that you did this amazing thing. You'd rather sit home and just watch TV, but you know that if you can post a picture of something that you're doing and get a like when you get home, it helps you stay motivated to do the hard things and it works. It absolutely does work. Motivational experts actually recommend it. If you were to meet with a life coach, one of the first things they would tell you is they would ask, what's your goal? And then they would say, you need to join a community of people and tell them that's how much weight you want to lose or that's the thing that you want to get better at and then you will have community approval to help you stay motivated in doing those things. And that's fine. Don't get hung up on the illustration Uh, This isn't an anti-social media point at all. This is just what the Pharisees did in their day. But it was pre-social media. So they had to come up with another way to let people know how spiritual they were. So they would stand on the street corner and they would pray very loudly so that everyone could hear what great prayers they were. And they would, when they would give, they would blow trumpets and then they would drop it in the giving bucket so loud that everyone could hear the big thunk or whatever and hear how faithful and extravagant they were in their giving. And when they would fast, they wouldn't shower so that by their stinkiness, everyone could tell how dedicated they were to God. 
And that's what Jesus is saying. Uh, don't do that. He says, I know it helps you stay motivated in doing what you want to do, but, but don't do it for their approval. Why? What we think Jesus is going to say is don't do these things to be seen by other people because it's not about a reward. We think he's going to say rewards don't matter. Instead, just do those things for the sake of doing those things, for the sake of prayer. Just give for the sake of giving. We're so sure that's what he's going to say, we miss what he actually says. What does he actually say? Well, I had you underline it. He says, don't receive your reward in full down on earth. Give quietly, pray quietly, be faithful. When you fast, just have it be between you and God. And keep it about you and God because God wants to reward you. When you pray, just, he says, just go into your closet, just pray to God. You don't have to announce it to everybody because God wants to reward you. And it's a little awkward because we think that these passages are supposed to be about not being rewarded. But he doesn't tell us to stop thinking about the reward. He says, focus on God and get the reward from him. And maybe you say, I can't believe that's what it's really saying. To prove it to you, I want to show you what Jesus says next. And now in my Bible and your Bible, most likely there is a heading between these two passages that break up this thought. But this was a sermon. There wouldn't have been a big pause. Jesus is talking, and he's, he's in the very same thought. He says, uh, your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The very next thought is that you shouldn't store up treasure on earth with other people, but you should store up rewards, store up treasure with God in heaven. He's saying if you get the reward from other people, your heart is with other people. If you get the reward on earth, your heart, your emotions, the activity of your mind is tied up in earthly things. But if you get the reward from God and you store up treasure in heaven, you are focused on God and godly things and you have an eternal mindset. Why is that so important? Why is it that faith isn't only believing that there's a God, but also seeking him? and rewarding those who seek him. Why is that important to know? Well, because rewards and keeping score is really important. We try to act like it's not, but it is. This is why your child in their classroom, they have a system for when they're doing good things, they get a gold star or a green day or some type of reward. And we think we've outgrown this, but we haven't. This isn't the way kids work. This is the way humankind works. Because what is your job? Why do you work so hard at your job? To make money. What is money? It's a reward. Just like your child sees their reward go up and down in a classroom, you see your number go up and down on a screen, and we do stuff for rewards. That's why we do what we do in life. The same thing in relationships, the same thing in every area. 
Why does that sound so wrong? Why is that so hard to accept sometimes? Because the rewards make us feel icky. It makes us feel childish. makes it feel like it's about, all about us. It makes us feel wrong. And maybe you say, that's what I love about faith. That's what I love about Christianity. Yes, Ryland, you got me. In the rest of my life, I do these things for the reward and I do them to stay on track. But that's what I love about church is I can come in here and it can just be pure and it's not about points. It's not about a reward. It's about just doing these things for the sake of those things. But the problem is when we say that, what we're saying is I have one area in my life where I'm going to try and another area of my life where I'm not. Because what do rewards do? They make you try. And you can't say, well, there's one area of my life where I'm going to be serious and another area where I'm just going to do this just for fun and just for the sake of doing it. That's what people do when they're going to play a game and not keep score. They say, let's just play for fun. But the irony of playing a game just for fun is it's not fun. (laughs) When you don't keep points, it's pointless. And the reason why is because as you start playing, you realize no one's trying. No one's really giving a lot of effort. No one's really wrapped up in this thing. No one's really trying. So why do people try so much harder when it comes to their job or their homes or their relationships than they do in their faith? Why do people try so much harder in other areas of their life, but when it comes to Christianity, it's just for fun? Uh, It's not really serious. I can kind of pick and choose what I get to do. The answer is because they believe that there are rewards for those things in their job and those things in their life, but they have forgotten that there are rewards when it comes to faith. And when you remember that there is treasure in heaven, when you remember that there are rewards, it makes you emotionally invested. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And my point is that your heart will never be fully invested in faith or your relationship with God or in giving or in Bible reading or fasting or sharing the gospel with that person who desperately needs to hear it. You're never going to be invested in those things until you realize someone is keeping score and rewards are on the table and there is something at stake Because if you pray only when you feel like it, you're going to pray some. You're not going to pray a lot. If you give only when you feel like it and only when you have it, you're going to give a little bit. You're not going to give a lot. If you fast only when you feel like it, you're not going to fast love. If you read your Bible only when, if you share the gospel only when you feel like it, if you do these acts of righteousness only when you feel like it, You're not going to do them a whole lot. And just like your employer rewards you for the work that you do because they value the work and it needs to get done, God recognizes that these spiritual disciplines are hard, but he values them enough to reward those who do them. Write this down at the bottom of your outline. This statement, rewards matter to God. Rewards matter to God. Why? Because the stuff that he's rewarding you for, he wants done. 
He wants you to go. He wants you to share. He wants you to serve. He wants you to pray and fast and and read your Bible and do these things. And the rewards matter to God. And I'm up here telling you this today and spending a whole message on it because there's a whole judgment seat in prophecy at the end where God rewards people who earnestly were earnestly seeking him. And I don't want that to be the first time that you realize this stuff really mattered. I don't want that to be the first time you realize that God was serious about these things and he was keeping score and he was rewarding people who earnestly sought after him in their life. Without faith, it's impossible. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Let's pray together. Oh, God, you know how we are with this stuff. We're just on again, off again. We pray when we feel like it. We don't pray when we don't. We've tried to change before. We've tried to be more consistent. We've tried to be this person that we want to be. But we just have a hard time sticking with it and finding the motivation to do it. And I ask that you would help us to see that there's something riding on this. That you do reward those who seek you. You do bless us when we do the things you ask us to do. And I pray that you'd help us get excited about it. That you'd give us a sense of anticipation about these rewards. That you would help us to see that you are that generous. And by the power of your spirit, I pray we'd find ourselves becoming the people we've always wanted to be, but never thought we could. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now there's an important tag to this message today. Uh, It's important as we go into worship. How does all this relate to grace? How does all this relate to the idea that God loves you and forgives you no matter what? And the answer is that it relates very easily. Nothing I've said today changes any of that. The idea that God rewards and blesses you in response to the things that you do, none of that changes the fact that because of Jesus' death on the cross, he doesn't judge you for the sins you've committed. All that is forgiven. So what that means is you can rack up rewards on the positive side of the ledger while the negative side of the ledger has been wiped out by Christ's blood, which is the only reason we have a hope for a reward in the first place. Come on, there is no other offer on the table like that. No other religion, no other God could come to you and say, I'm going to wipe out everything you've ever done wrong. And as you follow me, I am going to reward you for doing so. That is absolutely amazing. Nothing compares. So your sins are forgiven because of Christ. That's grace. That's not a reward. That's a free gift. The Apostle Paul summed it up this way in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. But check this out, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let's stand together. Let's sing, You Alone Can Rescue.